So you may have noticed that the cover art changed. Well, that's because we're starting a new thing. And that thing is a new segment of our podcast where we talk about things that aren't Harry Potter. We're calling it Nox Lumos Maxima After Dark, where we discuss other books, other movies, and other fandoms that don't involve the wizarding world. This podcast will still contain spoilers, adult themes, strong language, and of course, our very own opinions. Without further ado, we welcome you to the dark side of Lumos. What up, people? Welcome back. It's spooky season. Spooky season. Spooky season. And the only thing scarier than this episode is a flu epidemic. So get your fucking flu shot, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's a newly newly minted registered nurse. Newly minted. If you guys didn't know, which you didn't, I passed my boards. And I found out today, actually, so it's very exciting. Very Um, exciting. So yeah, I get a flu shot. I am like under the weather, hardcore, but only as of like two hours ago. Harry's been Weird. sick. Oh no! Harry Potter in my house has been sick, so it's oh, been unfortunate. No. I've been trying to fight it off. I was sick like two weeks ago. I thought I was gonna die. I felt awful. It's it's a weird. It's weird. Fall. It's a weird time of year. Like yeah, mm-hmm. it just got cold here in Tennessee very recently, two days ago. Yeah, but it's supposed to get hot again. We've had, like, record temperatures lately, so. Yeah, it just finally got down to 80 this week, so. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. we were, it's been in, like, the 50s in the mornings, which is nice, but it'll still heat up to way too hot. That's mm-hmm. not what this podcast is about, though. No, you mean it's, it's not, not about, about the weather? It's not about the weather. And flu epidemics? And flu epidemics. But it could be. We could do that. We could swing it. Technically. We... Are doing another Knox episode, so yay! If you yes, guys don't remember, are. our Knox episodes are about anything except for Harry Potter. Yeah. So, last time we did the Hunger Games mm-hmm. movie book one, and this time we are taking three of the things we love and smushing them into one. So we've got the podcast, which we thoroughly enjoy. We've got mm-hmm. Harry Potter, I guess. Could be the other no, one. not today. Murder. Well, kind of. Say, Harry, Harry Potter's not today. <clears throat> Harry Potter's not super today. Anyways, but we, we're talking about murder and spooky because we are super into October on this podcast. Yes. Yes, Like we are. super. More than your average white girl into October. Yeah, now, probably. I also get this way about Christmas. Personally, love the Me Christmas season. too. But there's just something uniquely horrible about October, which I thoroughly enjoy. So... This yeah. Knox episode is titled My Favorite Avada Kedavra. And yes. in a small nod towards a podcast that we both love, which is My Favorite Murder, we mm-hmm, are going mm-hmm. to be sharing our favorite true crime stories for yes. this nice October kickoff episode. So very exciting. A little disclaimer. A similar... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> if you're squeamish, mm-hmm. you don't like crime, you don't like murder, you don't want to hear about people being violently, brutally beaten to death, probably not the episode for you. The episode for you. A little Come outside of our week. normal wheelhouse. Um, yeah. Probably not any Harry Potter spoilers, but spoiler alert. I don't. People are dying. <laughs> yeah, people people be dying. People be dying. So. Yeah, and I think we're going to do it in a similar format to My Favorite Murder, where we're both going to share a story of yes. true crime. Yes, and we did not we, tell each other which one we, we did not. And I don't think that you would guess mine in a bajillion years. So 
I've been trying to think of what you're going to do. And I really don't know. Do you think, do, do you know what I'm going to do? Um, I don't know. I had a couple ideas, but then I was like, it's I'd hard. love to know your it's... ideas. Which one do you think? Um, well, okay. So at first I thought it was going to be a Florida based murder. Okay. In general. Um, okay. and then I thought that that might be a little too mainstream because there are like a ton of very prolific serial killers who came out of Florida. So those yeah. are all for the most part, very, very well publicized. And I uh-huh. think that you would go with like the, gen- not generic, but you know, all the stuff that we kind of like know about. And then it's hard because like we both have a true crime passion, but we've really talked about the types of true crime that we like, because if you guys are true crime junkies at all, you'll know that there's some true crime that you enjoy and some that you just like could not care less about if you tried. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I haven't found a type of true crime slash murder slash whatever that I didn't find fascinating yet. Yeah. I'm sure it's out there, but I mean, I know there are a lot of people that don't like certain categories of true crime obviously there's a billion different types yeah and that's kind of where I got lost because I was like I don't know that I know that much about the type of true crime that you're into which makes it hard yeah and same to you and um because I don't think there is really a category that I'm not into Mm -hmm. for me it's like there are details and certain things that I'm like "Mm, I don't need to know all of that yeah but there's not like a specific thing where it's like oh if it involves this crime that I can't I don't want to yeah it's not me it's for me it's more like I don't really need all the gory details and I don't oh, really I want all I, the gory details yeah and I don't I don't like crime scene photos Th- that's my thing not my jam they've never really but bothered me they bother me a lot um never... now I also work we in about... an environment where I like see stuff like that yeah not, from... not quite the same but same vein a lot yeah so. and for me it's not like the like blood and everything that doesn't bother me it's like the my empathy bothers me Mm. when I think about too much in detail of what happened and like see it that's what bothers me um but uh if we want to but like for me like my true jam it's like evidence give me all the evidence and how um they were all put together in the puzzle piece that's that's my true jam but anyhow so the only thing so. we don't have is a Steven. And if you guys don't know who that is, it's the person <laughs> that basically keeps Steven. my favorite murder. Very organized. Um, and normally he tells them who goes first. So who goes first? You. Why me? You Because pa- you passed your boards. Yeah, you but alphabetically first. you would go first. Whatever. Okay. No, go first. Um, I am doing... Are you ready for this? I don't think that I'm you would... I'm very ready. I don't even know that you know a whole lot about this. It was pretty big okay. in my world, but... So I am doing the Winter Hill Gang Murders and the subsequent murder of Whitey Bulger. I have never heard of it. I'm so excited. Which is crazy because I think you probably know who Whitey is. That sounds very familiar. Yes. And it is because he was finally caught, spoiler alert, in 2011. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. So at a very ripe old age. So... Uh, James Joseph Bulger, who goes by Whitey Bulger, um, is an Irish-American crime boss, an FBI informant who was, like, the head, basically, of the Winter Hill Gang in Somerville, Massachusetts for a good portion of the 70s and 80s. Okay. And then he kind of disappeared in the 90s. So, this is kind of a hometown, almost, for me, because Somerville is the 
city that's directly north of Boston, like you can mm-hmm. easily end up in Somerville if you don't pay attention to what you're doing. Um, okay. And I'm okay. from a smaller suburb area, kind of northwest of Boston. That's the Acton Boxborough okay. area. So this was fairly prominent in my life. And we talked about it a lot because he was obviously a crime boss in that area for 25 plus years. So, yeah. Okay. Um, before we get into any of his life, the charges that he racked up racketeering and a Rico case, 19 counts of murder, conspiracy to commit murder, extortion, conspiracy to commit extortion, narcotics (laughs) distribution, money laundering, and was one of the FBI's top 10 most wanted fugitives for almost 20 years. Yeah, sounds about right. Kind of a big deal. A little bit about good old Whitey, who I guess got the nickname, and I didn't know this, because he had very fine white hair from a very young age. <laughs> so that's kind of weird. Yeah, okay. Um, not original. All right. Not original. A fun fact is that his brother is William Bulger, who was actually the president of Massachusetts of the Massachusetts Senate for a while. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird how that worked out. But Not weird at all. Not weird, but also like... <laughs> I wish it, I wish things didn't work that way, but they Yikes. do. Yes. <laughs> His first name is James. I'm going to call him Whitey because nobody calls you him can't. James. But he was born from two first-generation Irish immigrants um, in 1929, which I didn't realize he was, like, that old. He's quite old. He's yeah. quite Is he still alive? No. Okay. No, gotcha. he's quite old. His family got really, really poor because his dad got... Um, he was an industrial worker of some kind, and he got in a really bad mm-hmm. accident in the late 30s, and yes. his family basically lost their only source of income. He was very, very poor growing up. In the late 30s, a housing project opened up in South Boston, which is kind of a rough part of Boston, and that's where they moved, and he grew up in this neighborhood, which is a rough neighborhood. He had two siblings, William and John, who were both very, very smart and did really well in school. Obviously, William went on to hold political office. Um, Right. (laughs) And basically, Whitey drew more and more away from that and kind of got into the street life. But it's, they say, around the age of 14 is when he... Was he he the youngest or the oldest, you know? He was there. He's the oldest. Okay. He's the oldest. Um, and by the age of 14, he had been arrested and charged with larceny and joined a street game, a street game, a game, a gang called the Shamrocks, which I just don't know that I would try hard enough. I don't know that I would be that scared of the good old Shamrocks. The good old Shamrocks. The Shamrocks. No, probably not. But he got his Sounds like a high school basketball team. It does. (laughs) Or someone who sells you cookies. In a knockoff cartoon movie. Um, Isn't the hockey team in um, that, that Canadian show, The Shamrocks? I think so. Sorry. In that Canadian show called... The... Um, oh my god. Letterkenny. I think they're called mm, The Shamrocks. Maybe. I don't know. That I haven't watched scene. that much. But... Anywho. Okay. Oh, I've watched um, all of it. Anyways, sorry. The local police are the people that gave him this nickname because he had super, super blonde hair that was almost white. He wanted to be called literally anything but that he hated the name he wanted to be called jim or jimmy which i forget is a nickname for james that just doesn't feel right to me um right and he he tried to get people to call him boots for a while because he had yeah, a habit right. of wearing cowboy boots and carrying a switchblade but obviously whitey is what's stuck and that's what people know him as so you can't pick your own nicknames guys 
And so at 14, he was convicted for larceny. He joined a street gang and was arrested for assault, forgery, and armed robbery and sentenced to juvenile reformatory school for those crimes. So he's still very young. He's released five years later at the age of 19, and he joins the Air Force, but is not reformed. And he spent a majority <laughs> he spent a majority of his um, military time in military prison for assault. <laughs> and then wow. he was arrested by the Air Force police for going AWOL <clears throat> in 1950. Oh, wow. So wow. all this happens. So just and, all around a piece of shit. But in 1952, he is honorably discharged from the Air Force and returns oh. to Massachusetts honorably discharged i don't know how he swung that all of his time in the air force was in prison i maybe he did some cool stuff i don't know i don't know and then he went awol and then well he was awol and then they let him he got honorably discharged which that so this is one of the points of contention with him i mean obviously he was like a crime boss which is really hard Mm -hmm. but he was honorably discharged from the military in the 1950s which if you guys kind of know anything about the 1950s People take that very seriously. Yeah. This this is before Vietnam. People are still very gung-ho. Yeah. So six years later, he goes to federal prison and spends time in the Atlanta penitentiary for armed robbery and a truck hijacking. Mm. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. And he tells the mobsters when he gets out that he was involved in the MK Ultra program. (laughs) and that he was part of the research for mind control through drugs with the CIA. And he said that for 18 months, himself and a group of other inmates um, who basically volunteered for MKUltra in return for reduced sentences were given like a shit ton of LSD, which there is nothing that says this didn't happen. Nothing that says it didn't happen. True. Yeah. Right. So, I mean maybe plausible because his prison sentence for armed robbery and hijacking would have given him like a very long time in um, prison, but he is transferred to a not, not maximum security, lower security. Yeah. Um, only seven years later, he complains that he had been recruited by deception and was told that they were trying to find a cure for schizophrenia but his experience was nightmarish and he went insane and he wrote no all these notebooks about all the terror that he had, um, about how he heard voices and he didn't want to be committed. So he didn't tell anyone about this. Um, yeah, I was going to so say it just sounds crazy. He goes to Alcatraz in 1959 briefly. Yikes. And then in 1962, he's transferred to Leavenworth, which Leavenworth is the big military prison base. Um, uh-huh. We actually used to live in Leavenworth, and when I tell uh-huh. people that we lived in Leavenworth, they all assumed that my dad was, like, a bad guy. In prison. <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't. <clears throat> um, and then in 1963, less than a year later, he's transferred to another federal penitentiary, and then he is finally granted parole in 1965. So he's, he only served nine years in prison, and he was in four different prisons during that wow, five different prisons crazy. during that time and it's wow. not clear if this is because he was causing a lot of problems right like he was an instigator or if the problems were that people were trying to kill him people yeah. didn't like him and then I mean, it doesn't sound like a <laughs> guy yeah after 1965 it will be 46 years before he's arrested again whoa 46 years 
Yeah. And this, so. and this is before he's even, like, a crime boss, right? Right. He's not in charge stint. of anything. He's not in charge of anything right now. Wow. But he will get there. So he gets released, and he basically works in construction. And then through construction, becomes a bookmaker. And then he's a loan shark. Um, and then... Oh, <laughs> uh, That's what doesn't matter. Is, is a bookie. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's a bookie. Um, okay. And he's working sense. for... Uh, South Boston mobster at this point as a loan shark called Donald Killian okay. who okay. Um, is the Killian's gang mob boss basically who had been kind of running that South Boston that kind of like rougher area for about 20 years at this point and it was a group okay. of three brothers who ran that gang um, okay. in 1971 the youngest brother killed a member of a rival gang and then a gang war came out and basically, they kind of, like, killed each other off, basically. The Killians, who were the original kind of overtakers, killed people off. This is when Bulger commits his first murder, working for this, by murdering, and this I don't understand, he accidentally murders the wrong person. Oh, nice. So instead of murdering member of this rival gang, he accidentally murders his not-rival gang member's brother. What? In a case of mistaken identity. So there's a Mullen brother who's part of the gang. And then there's a Mullen uh-huh. brother who is like a totally normal dude. And he kills uh-huh. the normal dude. Oh, geez. And that was not good. And yeah. he is like, oh, crap. Now I'm in big trouble because I was supposed to do this favor for this one gang by killing this gang guy. But I accidentally killed the wrong yeah. one. So now both of the gangs are mad because he killed the wrong person. So he goes to yeah. the third gang. He goes to Howie Winter, who's the leader of the Winter Hill gang, who is the game. That's who he stays with for the rest of his time. And he says, hey, I'll end this war if you help protect me. I'll kill everyone else. And sure enough. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I know, right? And wow. uh, about a year later, they're all gunned down outside of their houses in Framingham. So, Oh, my God. We're like, oh, okay. So that's fine. Um, now, Whitey claimed all of these murders but there are plenty of other mobsters who totally dispute it, saying they were killed by completely other people, totally unrelated. <clears throat> so it kind of seems like he just wants to be a part of a group. Yeah. Which is looking I mean, for some friends. He's a person, too. He has his air quotes first kill um, by basically mowing them down in their yards in 1972. Between the years of 1972 and 1995, he kills 19 more people. <sighs> whoa now just for like nothing just because he's part of a gang now i think my god yeah okay um he kills a smattering of people and some people are people that you would expect it to be so there's a lot of people on his list that are some sort of a rival gang member um right you know stuff like that i'm sorry my voice is just not playing a game with me right now i'm having a hard time yeah you're right keep that in there (laughs) here we go his first official murder that was not claimed by any other gang members happened two years after in 1974 when he kills a rival gang member then in 1975 he shoots a witness of the previous murders because they didn't want them to talk to the police then in 19 later in 1975 he shoots a rival gangster in the back of the head in a car and puts him um, under a bridge in Quincy, Massachusetts. In 1976, 
He kills a nightclub owner that had good relations with the gang because Whitey told people that he was an informant. Then he has a little bit of a hiatus. Five years later, he kills Roger Wheeler. This guy suspects Whitey is stealing money from the club, and so Whitey kills him. In 1982, this is when it gets weird. In 1982, Bill Halloran is killed. And guess what Bill is? Is he he the He's an FBI informant. Oh, yikers. So this is when things get really complicated because it is thought that from the 1980s, Whitey Bulger is an FBI informant who is is giving a ton of information about all of the mobsters and gang relations in the Boston area because at this point in time, it was super prevalent. A lot of drugs, a lot of guns, a lot of murder for hire. I mean, it was a a really big deal in this area. Yeah. Uh Um, in 1982, a buddy of the informant is killed by Bulger, who offers him a ride home. I don't know why you get in the car with him. In Later in 1982, John Callahan, the former president of that ball game that that other guy was a part of, got murdered, questioning the murder of the other ball guy. Don't know who he is. Uh... In 1983, Arthur Bucky Barrett, an alleged jewel thief, was killed. Um, Bulger chained him to a chair or tell, tell him where all the cash was and then shot him in the head. That doesn't seem very fair. In 1984, he chained another guy to a chair and then shot him in the head. And this one's... So he's mostly killing like gang people and like other criminals. But in 1985, it takes a turn for the worse. He kills Deborah Hesse, who's the daughter of a longtime living girlfriend, um, of... One of Bulger's gang members, he just kills her because he kills her. And that's just the list of murders that were proven. Then there's a whole list of murders that were not proven. Um, Right, because in gang violence and everything, yeah, you can't. A bartender killed in 1973, a rival gang member killed in 1973, another rival gang member killed in 1973, another rival gang member killed in 1973, another gang leader killed in 1974. Uh, someone who participated in a robbery with Bulger in 1974 and a friend of Bulger's in 1975. Yikes, a friend? Yeah. He's not a very good friend. And in 1981, it is believed that Bulger murdered Deborah Davis, who was the girlfriend of an FBI informant who testified that Whitey had killed her because she knew they were both FBI informants and that that he was worried about being outed. Oh, yikes. Yes. So, let's talk about him being an FBI informant just for a minute. Because this is when it gets... Let's re- talk This about is it. what made this kind of a national case that got to be a really big deal. In yeah. the early 70s, the FBI approached Whitey and tried to recruit him. And Special Agent Dennis Condon... Condon? Condon. Um, let's go with Condon. Was assigned. Yeah. But he fails to get Whitey to sign on. So three years later, he's partnered with Stephen Flemmy, an Italian-American mobster okay. who was already an FBI informant. And mm. they become really good friends. And um, this SBI, FBI agent is always talking about how he had recruited him and he made him become part of it. Um, somehow... It gets out that Fleming is 
also an FBI informant and might turn on Whitey. And that's how he gets murdered. And also how his girlfriend gets murdered. And also how his daughter gets murdered. Mm, that's... Okay. That's no bueno. Um, no. Yeah. In 1977, after Whitey has been an FBI informant for quite a while, um, and people are kind of starting to suspect that he is, a new uh-huh. FBI agent named John Morris is put in charge of the organized crime squad um, in the Boston field office, starts to assist Bulger in his efforts. So oh. by 1982, Morris is, quote, thoroughly compromised. Um, he's yeah. buying plane tickets for girlfriends to visit whitey even though he's being investigated for drugs in 1983 he's transferred out of boston but he remains an accomplice to Connolly and whitey until 1988 um oh my god the spotlight team of the boston globe in 1988 publishes a story saying that the fbi is working actively with crime and so it kind of yeah. cuts things off okay which is fine okay. and it's quiet until 1995 when whitey and fleming the other fbi informant are indicted on racketeering charges through a RICO case or through a suspected RICO case, and they are tipped off by the FBI agent that there's wow. going to be a RICO case and Whitey flees. Wow. Um, and he's literally gone until, like, 2011. Oh, my God. Where did he go? Okay, we'll get there. So, he's, he's gone. He goes to California. Oh, we'll just skip to that. He goes. That's how he. That's where he goes. He to he, escape. Yes. So he flees Boston um, and goes to New York, and then he goes to New Orleans, and then in 1995 he prepares to return to Boston because he thinks that maybe this whole Rico case is kind of bullshit. Until Fleming, the other informant, is arrested in Boston by the DEA, and they're like, "Oh, we're." We're Audi. This is real. Yeah. yeah. And Weeks is informed of the arrest. And then he immediately tells Whitey, hey. Wow. And so, man, this guy was so far in. It's so corrupt. I mean, could you imagine being an FBI what? agent and doing that? Oh, absolutely not. No. 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 Not even a little bit. That's. T- I can imagine, like, sympathizing with these people who are informants, but, like, not to not to that point. I no. absolutely think that it would be horrible to be an informant. 100%. Yeah, just absolutely. horrible. I don't know, man. I, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That seems like seems like a lot. So anyway. So he is finally captured after a long time. He goes yeah. he goes to he kind of bounces around a lot. Um and I mean, he can definitely hide out in New Orleans. That's Oh, yeah. They would have never... He should have stayed in New Orleans. They never he should have stayed in New Orleans. Um, no. Although, he is, like, gone for a really fucking long time. Um, Weeks is eventually arrested for everything that he's done, which yeah. is bad. And then he cuts a deal and reveals all the money that he's gotten, all the people that he's killed, whatever else. And so... It is not until 2002, which is seven years later, that Whitey is first spotted in London. And then, oh, in London? In London. Oh, okay. And then there's unconfirmed sightings of him popping up everywhere. They, the FBI goes to Uruguay. The FBI goes to the 60th Memorial of the Battle of Normandy, where he's supposed to have been. Oh. They go to Sicily, where they're told that him and Whitey's lover, Catherine, are hanging around. 
Um, They go to Victoria, British Columbia. An off-duty Boston police officer who's in San Diego watching a screening of The Departed said that he had seen Whitey and they went to California. Wow. And sure enough, um, after 16 years in hiding and 12 years as the top member of the FBI's top 10 most wanted list, he's arrested in Santa Monica, California in 2011. He's 81 years old when he's arrested. And he is wow. living in the shittiest little bungalow apartment building in Santa Monica. Yikes. All because an off-duty Boston cop happened to be All because place. people happen to be around and they're like, yeah, I mean, we've been getting reports that, like, he's around. Well, it's because yeah. he is. There had been a $2 million reward set for information leading to his capture. Can you guess what the only higher award ever offered was for? Um, it was a criminal, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Kennedy's murder. I don't know. Osama bin Laden when he went into hiding. Oh, I was gonna go with that, but I was like, would they really post an award for, oh, yeah. for a terrorist? Um, but I didn't think they would. I thought I was so I was thinking other criminals. Oh, that was my first. Oh, yeah, I'm so mad at myself. Um, he's featured on America's Most Wanted. 16 times Jeez. for the first time in 1995 and for the last time October 2nd 2010 and then they caught him less than a year later wow yeah good job America's Most Wanted yes. and that one guy who hosts it he different true crime story <laughs> he is arrested he's charged with murder conspiracy extortion all that stuff we talked about he's found with $800,000 worth of cash 30 firearms and a plethora of fake IDs in his apartment and for whatever reason, the attorney district from Massachusetts says she believes the death penalty is not an option for the federal charges he faces, but that he could have the death penalty for cases that occurred outside of the district because he is alleged to have killed two, one person in Oklahoma in 1981 and one person in Florida. So hmm. he really got around. Wouldn't surprise me if he killed someone in Florida. Um, Absolutely not. He gets yeah. back to Boston because he's brought back for trial and immediately starts talking. Oh, nice. Of course he does. Um, He said that he's talking about, he basically spills the beans on everything that's been happening. He Mm -hmm. pleads not guilty to all 48 of his charges, including 19 counts of murder. Okay, buddy. Sure. What did he do for 22 or for his 16 years? He basically hung out with his longtime girlfriend, Catherine Gregg. Well, you know, that doesn't sound like who is a scary looking woman. If you ever have the time to look her up, she's scary. She's 22 years his younger and she grew up in Boston, but not really around them. And they have a kid who died. Oh, no. Because they gave him too much aspirin. Stop it. Not really? intentionally. Not intentionally. He got I race. know, but I mean. He got like, race really? syndrome. I think it's aspirin. They can get race syndrome and die. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes on trial in 2013. He goes before a judge for 32 different account- counts of federal racketeering and firearms possessions. It also included his 19 murders. The trial only lasts two months, <laughs> which seems wow, that's really, really short. short to me. Yeah, uh, that's very 72 short. witnesses oh, were wow. called during the time of that. In two months. I mean, that's literally that's a crazy. witness a day. Yeah. More. Yikes. Um, and the jury was called to deliberate on August 6th. On August 12th, they convicted him of 30 on the, he was convicted on 31 of 32 counts in the indictment. Wow. And he was convicted of 11 murders. 
Um, His ass is grass. Yes. Jury acquitted him on seven counts of murder. He was convicted on 11, acquitted on seven, and they found that they were unable to agree on whether or not he murdered Deborah Davis, who was the girlfriend of the other informant. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, They vowed that they were going to take him to civil court over that. Because what I'm finding in a lot of these cases is that just because you lose in criminal court doesn't mean you will not win in civil court. And people actually win- for murder in civil court a majority of the time. Oh, yeah. Were OJ not Simpson, convicted. Nicole Brown is the best example there is. Yes, and she will never see a penny of it. Well, her yeah. family. Yes, which is real sad, yeah. but at least they got some kind of conviction. Um, and in true Massachusetts fashion, on November 14th, 2013, he was sentenced to two terms of life imprisonment plus five years. Just in there case, you go. just in case just he outlives it, he was ordered to forfeit twenty five million dollars that he had yeah, gained okay. and pay restitution in the amount of nearly twenty million dollars. Yeah, okay. Prosecutors right, in Florida and Oklahoma announced that they would wait until after sentencing to decide whether or not they were going to prosecute him. Um, he was indicted in Florida and in Oklahoma. And nice. could have received the death penalty in both states. Wow. So he ended up in the penitentiary in Somerville. Four years later, he's transferred to the federal prison in Oklahoma City. And then he's transferred to the federal, penitent- federal penitentiary in West Virginia. And here's where it gets wild. It's not wild yet? No. Uh, and also Somerville is um, kind of smack dab in the middle uh, between like Crystal River and Orlando. So he's been he's being bounced around to all these federal prisons. He ends up in the federal penitentiary in West Virginia. Okay. Where he is beaten to death. Whoa. By another mob boss and his associates. I mean, that makes sense. That's a fitting end. Only but, wow. two weeks after he's transferred to the prison. That's crazy. At 8.20 a.m. on October 30th. At the Welcome age of West Virginia. 89, he's found unresponsive in prison. He was in a wheelchair and had been wheeled into a corner and beaten to death by multiple inmates with an, who were armed with socks, wrapped around padlocks, and a shiv. His Yikes. eyes had been gouged out of his face, and his tongue had been cut off. Oh, my God. This was the third homicide at that prison in just 40 days. Whoa. They need to get it together. Correctional officers told Congress just a few days before the murder that... The the deaths that had occurred, those three, those two deaths that occurred, was because the ho- the hospital, the prison, was dangerously understaffed. Yeah, and it is none other than Massachusetts-based mafia hitman Freddie Gias, who is the primary suspect and killer of uh-huh. Whitey Bulger, who also then was like, "I'm not disputing my role in this murder whatsoever." Wow. Yeah. On November 8th, um, a week later, a funeral was held Mm -hmm. for him in South Boston. His brother, who's the former state senator, um, and the twin sister of his longtime girlfriend showed up, and it was, like, kind of hotly protested. Okay. Yeah. Um, That makes sense. And you got to know, this happened last year. Wait, the funeral? All of it. He was transferred oh. to the federal penitentiary in West Virginia on October 29th, 2018. Oh, sorry. I missed that. Whoa. Yes. That's crazy. The funeral was held less than a year ago. Jeez. Yes. So. That's crazy. Banana lands. So. Yeah. That is the disorganized but wild, wild crime story of Whitey Bulger and the yeah. Winter Hill Gang. So did, so did Whitey Bulger start 
running the Winter Hill Gang at some point, or was he just kind of an upper? So he was like an upper officer of it. Gotcha. Um, for okay. the most part. And yeah. you guys may have heard a little bit about Whitey Bulger because the Johnny Depp movie Black Mass is based on him. Oh. Yeah. I've definitely heard the name before. For sure. So there's actually... But I didn't know that it was so recent. Yeah. Some of still the developments of it. So wow. in 2015, um, not that long after he's caught, Black Mass is produced and comes out. The, uh-huh. um, the Departed... And there's another one. There's a couple movies that all use bits and pieces of his story as a mob boss. And isn't The Departed the screening that the Boston cop went to to see and then saw him in um, San Diego? That's what he went to see. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yes. What because The Departed think. came out, I want to say in like 2005 or 2006. And uh-huh. there was nothing going on with the whitey bulger case in general like people yeah like he was just he had just disappeared the fact that they found them was a freak accident they said that he had kind of been spotted in the area and then a neighbor of his from the condo is the one that called it in and said hey this i think that whitey bulger lives in my condo building and sure enough they show up and there he is like he's like getting groceries out of his car like just being a normal ass old dude well, I mean, because he's been on, he's been free he's, for six years. He's been on the lam for like a long time. He probably at this point thinks he's in the clear. Yeah, super crazy. Well, dang. So yeah, I love a good bulger. I love a good gang story. I do too. There. So I didn't want to say like the crime that I find that people mo- like the least is gang stories because I don't want to give away that mine is a gang story. But I have found that that's the type that people are most particularly uninterested in is like the truly organized crime um Mm. but i find it fascinating the power structure of a gang organized crime is terrifying organized crime is so terrifying yeah so that's what i got i'll get better if we ever do murders again such so much information i liked it yeah that's what i ran into as well with mine is like there's just so much and it's only scratching the surface so okay so um, tell us understand that Okay, so we're going into mine now, and you have heard of it. Probably. It is actually one of the most famous, actually. Did you go super mainstream? I went super mainstream, but not, probably not in the way that you're thinking. What'd you do? Did you do Jack the Ripper? I did Jack the Ripper. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I did know it. Oh my God. You did know it. Oh my God, that was going to be my second guess. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Nice. Good job. Yes. Hell yes. Lay it on me. Yes. So we're going to take a trip way back to Victorian England. Hell yes. The the year is 1888, which funny enough is actually my mom's side came over from Scotland. So, hey. So I am totally interjecting. I did 23andMe and I got a message from a second cousin, which means we share a set of great grandparents who is Mm. 100% British. Nice. And I was like, Ooh, girl. So it's not like my distant people that are British. It's like not not distant. Like it's my yeah. <laughs> it's people that I know <laughs> that For I sure. didn't know were British through For sure. on my maternal grandmother's side, which was cool. But okay, nice. all right. It's eighteen eighty eight. Everything's muggy. No one has it's bathed. Eight... There, yeah, no one bathes. It's just covered in smog. You know. 
Oh, yeah. Um, the shits are, the streets are covered in shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Flowing. Uh, especially in the district that we are visiting today, the district of Whitechapel, mm. which um, was one of the poorest districts in London. It's not the only district where things like prostitution and gambling, et cetera, existed, but it was a big headquarters for it. Um, and at this time, in the fall of 1888-ish, the fall, um, they are being terrorized by what is widely thought of as one of the first, if not the first, mainstream serial killer. Yay. Jack the Ripper. Yay. Okay. So, um, one thing I did want to caveat is that it's a very complicated story, and it seems simple on, on um, you know, on the surface, but then when you start digging into it, it gets very crazy and very fuzzy and it's also because it gets fuzzy some of the details because of a the lack of technology obviously um the fact that it's been about 131 years since the crimes actually took place Mm -hmm. and then of course the fact that it's never been solved Mm -hmm. and and most of the details from the crime actually comes from news articles so newspapers at the time and will most likely never be solved the conspiracies that run wild about jack the ripper I could yeah. watch nothing but Jack the Ripper conspiracy documentaries for five days and still not have my fill of them. So same because and some of them are so crazy that even even though you know it's not real, it's like I just want to see how people put this together mm-hmm. and where they come up with this. So yeah, and and that's why I chose this one is because this one has always been one that's fascinated me, and it's one I can't remember like the first true crime story I got into, but this might have been it. I think so... Jack the Ripper is definitely up there for some of the first ones that I ever yeah just because it there's something about setting it 100 years ago that makes people so much more comfortable talking about it right and it, and it's such like a i mean it became like a global like it's in the mindset the psyche mm-hmm. of people now like everybody who knows who it is everybody knows at least some details of it it became like a boogeyman story oh definitely so um but anyways yeah so nobody actually knows truly what happened um, there are tons and tons of conspiracy theories, like we said, and there are tons and tons of suspects. Um, but, uh, I did want to talk about some of my sources oh, because yeah. I had to have sources for this. Um, one of my main sources was actually, um, the last podcast on the left. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a series on Jack the Ripper. It was a five or six part series Damn. of like at least an hour each. So they went in. Um, and then also one, that I listened to on chance and I was very excited about it. I listened to it a couple months ago and it added a totally new um, perspective to it for me. It's an actually, it's a history extra podcast, um, which is by the BBC mm-hmm. and they interviewed a woman who wrote a book about um, the uh, Jack the Ripper victims from a different uh, perspective. And um, she basically uh, throws a lot of details that we think are actual truths um into the actual fire so i'll bring those up later but i used um um, the boston globe and the new york time articles about whitey bulger very nice and i'm sure we also both used wikipedia i definitely did i tried Um, to but honestly his wikipedia page was so long that i couldn't digest it (laughs) dude same i just used it for some of the to keep some of the facts straight and then the main overview history extra and last podcast on the left which by the way i might be going to see last podcast on the left to live in orlando that's awesome anywho moving on um 
Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to mention is that I'm not going to go into massive, massive detail about some of the things he did because they are just... There's so much. Rough. There's so much and it's so rough and it starts to get to the thing of like, I still want to be able to think of his victims as people Mm -hmm. and I don't want to get too much into that. Plus it takes a long time. Okay, disclaimers out of the way, going in. In the fall of 1888, um, the London, London district of Whitechapel was the slums, the, the poor. Mm-hmm. It's also where most of the homeless was. Mm. Um, it was full of gangs, gambling, and prostitution. Um, estimates by uh, the police in that area said that there were as many as 62 brothels. Wow. And about a, um, 1,200 women working as sex workers at the time in that district alone. Wow. And it was not a very big district. So No, there was only... 40,000 people on the earth at that time anyway. So proportionally, <laughs> that's like a ton. Yeah, I mean, it's it's massive. Um, so that's the kind of thing we're dealing with here. The other thing, too, is that's um, uh, important is that uh, the upper echelons of London, they had streetlights. Uh, there were no streetlights in Whitechapel. Um, so, yeah, so it was just completely dark. Um, so that all of that creates perfect storm for a serial killer to be lurking in the night. Mm-hmm. Um so in the in the fall, um, there were a string of about eleven murders during this uh, time period. Oh. They're all called the Whitechapel murders, but only five of them are um, usually attributed to the killer that is called Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also earlier known as either the Whitechapel murderer or the Leather Apron, which the Leather Apron sounds even scarier than Jack the Ripper. That's person. creepy. Like yeah. And, uh, okay, so the first murder attributed to him was the murder of 43-year-old Mary Ann Nichols, whose body was discovered on August 31st, 1888. Um, Her throat was cut twice and her torso was mutilated, which became the number one thing that connected all his victims. Mm -hmm. And that's the number one thing that people say, this was a Jack the River crime. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas some of those other Whitechapel murders, uh, they didn't follow that same MO. Um, So he only has five that are absolutely... And even those are contested, but five that are traditionally thought of as his. Mm-hmm. The next one was not long after. It was September 8th. Um, second victim was found in the doorway of a backyard. Uh, her name was Annie Chapman. And like Marianne Nichols, she was in her 40s and her throat was cut and her abdomen was mutilated. Um, something that was different with her was that her uterus was actually also missing. The whole uterus? So the uterus was mm. gone gross um and that started to also pop up in some of his other crimes of like missing body parts or you know weirdly mutilated um and there was a lot of like precision Mm -hmm. uh which we will get into later um because that comes into some of the suspects um the next one early mornings of early morning of um 30th september so there was a little bit of a cooling off period uh, this was the time of what is deemed as Jack's double event, meaning he killed two women in one night. Um, first was discovered was 44-year-old Elizabeth Stride, who, like the earlier victims, was killed from a cut to the throat. Um, however, her abdomen actually did not have any mutilation like the previous two victims had. Hmm. Um, and that it, it puts some doubt onto whether that was actually a victim of his, but people believe it was, and he was probably just interrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would also explain why he probably went on to murder somebody else as well mm-hmm. in that night, because he didn't get to do his thing. Hmm. Ugh, gross. Um, which, I mean, makes sense, because 
you know, what we know about some serial killers is that they're doing it for some kind of gratification. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't able to do the whole thing, he would probably go looking for another one. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. And serial um, killers are notoriously ritualistic people in right. general. So if he didn't get to finish anything, mm-hmm. he would have felt the need to do it again mm-hmm. quickly. Um, and yeah, and that's what he did. Um so uh, his second victim that night was another woman in her 40s also. Her name was Catherine Eddowes. Um, she had also had her throat cut and her abdomen uh, ripped open and parts of organs missing. Um, so definitely Jack the Ripper, Emma. All of these so far, these four, have all been in their 40s mm-hmm. and killed outside on the street oh. at night. Just like on any old street? Just on the street. Um and uh, some of them were, like, in backyards and in doorways, whatever. But it's extremely, it's extremely dark. There are no streetlights. Um, and basically, if these women are on the streets, they are extremely vulnerable. Um, and what we've always heard is that they were prostitutes. Well, um, his last victim was completely different. Um, and really, only the mutilation is the part that really connects them. Um, his last victim that was attributed to him was also the most grotesque. Um, her name was Mary Kelly. Um, she's a standout victim, not only because there was a much, much higher level of brutality, um, but also because uh, she was in her 20s, where all the other victims were in their 40s. And then um, Mary Kelly was found in her own bed inside, oh. where the rest were found outside um so so if this happened today we'd be like that was the primary intent that was his primary rage focus and that also comes into where some of the suspects are and some Mm -hmm. who they are um but but yeah so this one is actually one that a lot of ripperologists (laughs) ripperologists um it this is the one where uh it seems like the most telling but also could be not by the same person Hmm. some people think so some people not whatever Mm -hmm. um but i think what it shows is that it probably is the same person but it shows um what he really would have liked to do if he wasn't outside um because i mean the level of brutality i don't even want to go crazy into it but it seemed like every piece of her body was mutilated Hmm. um she could barely be identified Um, only she could only be identified by her eyes and her ears, I think. Um, and, um, there are crime scene photos if you are interested. I'm not, but there are crime scene photos because they were being, they did use photographs at this time. Jack the Um, Ripper's case. I didn't know there were photos. There are photos of all the victims. Um, this one, I think this is the only one where the actual crime scene was photographed. Um, so as it was, Mm -hmm. and I accidentally saw it and I didn't want (laughs) to. And yeah, it's a horror show. Um, I mean, it's things like she was completely disemboweled and her, her intestines were like in a bowl on the um, like shelf next to her. Maybe she it's, was having a baby. Uh, not according to all the other things he did to her. Mm. No, no. Um, but anyways, uh, so those are all the victims. Pretty much everybody knows there were like five and whatever. And everybody's like, yes, they were prostitutes in Whitechapel. Well, here's the thing. And this is from that book I talked about from the History Extra podcast is that 
they're all thought of as prostitutes or sex workers, um, but there's actually very little to no evidence that they actually were. Um, normally in this time period, death certificates would be noted of their profession, and there was only one victim who was noted as an actual prostitute, a known prostitute, and that was Mary Kelly, so the last one. Mm-hmm. She's the only one out of all of them who was known to be a sex worker. Hmm. The rest of the victims were all older women. Not older, but especially for that time period. I mean, twice um, her age. Twice her age. Um, and they were also found outside. They were killed in a laying down position. Um, that's something that is not noted very often. Um, and uh, multi- many of them were alcoholics. Um, they were all poor and they were all homeless. And some of them were living with men out of wedlock. Um, during this time, it would take like four pennies to get a bed in one of the boarding houses. And if you didn't have it, you had to sleep on the streets. And all of these other women were known for sleeping rough or sleeping outside. Um, so what this woman of this um, podcast she interviewed, she did is that she's an expert actually on um, prostitution and, and sex workers in uh, like the 1700s. So she started um, looking into these probably the most famous prostitutes of, you know, this time period. And um, couldn't find any evidence that any of them were prostitutes other than Mary Kelly. Hmm. And she said that because most of our information is from newspapers and everything, um, and they're heavily biased towards what society thought at the time, if a woman was poor and homeless and outside at night, she had to be a prostitute. There was no question. Mm -hmm. She had to be a sex worker. Really, she could have just been homeless. And that's what um, this woman makes a case for is that they weren't actual sex workers. They were just poor homeless women, but nobody cared because they were poor homeless women. Um, so, yeah. So there's a little bit of a tidbit of, no, actually, they weren't all sex workers. Only one of them was known to be. They were, the rest were just poor hmm. um, and easy victims because they were sleeping out on the street. Um, so that's sad. It's not like it was less sad that there were prostitutes, but, yeah. you know. Just a little thing of like, hey, do you see how horrible we were to women in the past? Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, back to Jack the Ripper himself. Um, I talked about some of the skill and um, precision that it took for some of his crimes. Because he, he was doing things like removing the uterus, removing kidneys. Things that seemed like he needed some kind of anatomy knowledge to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of experts, especially at the time, thought that he was probably a doctor. Um, that also came because they were scared of doctors. So back mm-hmm. in that time, mm-hmm. um, get your flu shots, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but now people actually think that he was most likely a fisherman um, because Whitechapel actually had a very large docking and fishing industry as well. Hmm. And obviously fishermen would have a lot of skill with skill and access to knives. Um, and actually some of his victims did have like their skin filleted off. So, Hmm. um, yeah, which is another just grotesque, great detail. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, also a fisherman wouldn't have looked out of place in Whitechapel. Um, whereas a doctor and an upper society person may have. However, the, the idea that we have of Jack, the Ripper as like kind of like gentleman Jack with a mm-hmm. top hat. It's because um, the uh, uppity ups in London thought it was great 
if one of their people was Jack the Ripper and he went down to South London uh, in the slums to kill people for fun. Um, oh. And it, yeah, it's not great. Um, it, and it's not, it's not massively um, out of the question because there were actually a lot of upper class London Londoners men who went to Whitechapel to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or and get some sex um and and gambling and all of that all of that debauchery and then come back to their high society life so it's not completely out of the question but um probably more likely that he was a fisherman that's also where the leather apron comes in because um Mm -hmm. butchers and fishermen wore leather aprons um let me see what else uh there's a lot of other evidence that comes into play um, that I didn't realize until I started researching this is that um, there are probably countless letters being sent to police, people, people, heads of night of uh, like watchman's group in the white chapel uh, district, just all these different letters claiming to be Jack the Ripper. Most of them are, are not real. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only really one that was believed to possibly be the Ripper. And that was because enclosed it had a piece of human kidney Hmm. so i mean possible but um there's also a lot of evidence that even that could have been faked um there's a lot of evidence that some of the other letters were actually faked by newspaper writers because (laughs) you know um because they want attention because they want attention and they can write about this letter and they have inside evidence about what happened with this letter um and they just stir some shit up and um Honestly, uh, as we can see what's happening in the world right now, not that crazy to think of that people just wanted to stir shit up. Anywho. Um, and, uh, yeah, and there's evidence that actually that one with a piece of human kidney may have actually been a medical student playing a prank. Hmm. Um, because it was actually identified definitely as a human kidney at the same hospital where these other medical students were, uh, were uh learning and there I think there's specifically one guy they thought it might have been but anyway so um as far as suspects um obviously the crime has never been solved um but there is a very very long list of suspects in quotes oh yeah i i say in quotes because some of them are just ludicrous and it was one of the ones we some of the ones we talked about where you just want to see where people come up with this and you listen because you just want to, you want to see how they're connecting the dots because it's really funny to watch. Um, and I'm going to go into like just briefly some of the craziest ones. Um, but uh, of either an identified by police or by ripperologists or historians, there are up to a hundred people that someone thinks <laughs> could have been Jack Ripper. Oh God, this is why it'll never I be mean, solved. No, I mean, it's, it's never going to be solved because it's 131 years old. There's no way in hell that we yeah. can do anything to solve it, which is, th- which I think is really funny that people are spending so much time trying to connect adults, but you know, you do you, um, but just don't be one of the ones who wholeheartedly believe some of the most ludicrous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most insane ones is that the whole thing, the murders of five people, all of the, uh, all 11 Whitechapel murders was just a conspiracy to cover up, um, a love child of Prince Albert. So they be- these people believe that the um, English monarchy, along with Freemasons, because we've got to throw Freemasons in there. Well, yeah. They came up with this whole conspiracy to cover up the love child of the prince. 
by killing five women and creating this alleged serial killer. And it was because supposedly um, Prince Albert had had a love child with a Catholic woman. He was a Protestant prince. Nobody wanted that. And um, the love child was dropped off at the, um, at the nunnery. And uh, the person who did that was one of these women who was, uh, was killed by Jack the Ripper and she had told four other women who she knew because they were all allegedly sex workers. And so all of them were offed. That is that whole ridiculous story. And the Freemasons come in because apparently they were also in cahoots with the English monarchy and the Freemasons wanted to reestablish their dominance. So they got involved with killing five women to cover up a conspiracy um... for a love child. Um... So that's one of them. Okay. Well, I would think that the Freemason part's true, but everything else isn't. I mean, I mean, out of that crazy conspiracy, the Freemason is the only part where it's like, that makes a teensy tiny bit of sense, but mm-hmm. not really. Because also, why would they care about a love child of a prince? I don't know. It just, it's obviously, it's completely ludicrous. But like, to see people try to, like, to connect the dots is very entertaining. Mm-hmm. So if you can get into that rabbit hole... I I suggest it. Um, the next one that's just crazy is uh, that Lewis Carroll, the author of Alice in Wonderland, <laughs> was actually Jack the Ripper. And there are some people who actually believe this, Sarah. Hmm. And you want to know the evidence? You want you want to know? Sure. Because because apparently uh, one of the lines in one of the Alice in Wonderland books is an anagram that, when unscrambled, is the confession that he killed the five women and then he's actually Jack the Ripper okay there's one person who did all this research and wrote a book he wrote a book about how Lewis Carroll was Jack the Ripper and and it all hinged on this anagram what I love is that the trolls of the world came together people who were experts in anagrams and they started bringing out uh sentences in that very book where he uh that they you know unscrambled and said that he uh, killed Nicole Brown. Uh, he uh, did the terrorist attacks 9-11. All this stupid stuff. So, <laughs> but there's, there's this whole book about how allegedly Lewis Carroll, author of Alice in Wonderland, is Jack the Ripper. Okay. So that's, that's the second one. That's crazy. And then there's this other one that I had actually heard before and found very intriguing until I researched it for like two seconds. And I was like, oh no, not even a little bit. And that is that America's first serial killer, H.H. Holmes, Mm -hmm. actually was Jack the Ripper as well. So Um, I've heard a lot about, I almost did H.H. Holmes because I, amazing, fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But this is something that I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot about it too. And um, it really intrigued me, but I didn't know much about H.H. Holmes. And then I read um, Devil in the White City. Uh, which is about H.H. H. Holmes, mm-hmm. and literally nothing adds up. There's no way in hell. Um, it all it all hinges on. First of all, it all hinges on H.H. H. Holmes's um, ancestor saying that not only was his ancestor H.H. H. Holmes a serial killer, he hit that same ancestor, same guy was also Jack the Ripper. Um, and he, I believe, he got paid for that story and like wrote books about it. So that's your first indication. Second indication is that. It all hinges on the fact that H.H. H. Holmes was allegedly in 
Europe at the time of Jack the Ripper. But there's no real evidence that I'm aware of that that's true. Now, there is evidence that H.H. Holmes um, was inspired by Jack the Ripper. Hmm. Um, But also their M.O.s are just completely different. Um, Jack the Ripper was very, very personal, um, obviously, and liked to experiment with uh, the bodies and mutilate them himself very Hmm. up close and used a knife. And some people think a knife and an axe. Um, Judging by some uh, people, some of the wounds, um, people think that he was carrying both a knife and an axe. Whereas H.H. Holmes had his own like murder dungeons Mm -hmm. um, in his hotel, quote unquote. And he used gas a lot um, to kill people, which is very not personal, not up close. Um, The only thing that could possibly be like similar is that some people think Jack the Ripper's doctor in H.H. Holmes was a doctor ish. Mm-hmm. And um, afterwards, H.H. Holmes would completely strip the skeletons. So he didn't have a problem with the gore or anything of that. But mm-hmm. that's really it. I mean, that's truly all there is that, to hinge that theory. So that one's also pretty ridiculous to me as well, which makes me sad because when I heard about it first, I was like, oh, yeah, oh my God. wouldn't that be but, cool? <laughs> yeah, but but no, unfortunately not. Um, so out of those a hundred people that could possibly be, and I'm sure there are more. I'm sure somebody was like, oh, I'm sure there's thousands. There's there's even more that are crazy. I mean, some are probably like, uh, you know, Hitler was Jack the Ripper, and you mm-hmm. know, like all this stuff. But um, a hundred of people where they're actually trying to build out the the suspect list. Um, only three were actually named suspects according to police records. Um, but unfortunately the evidence against them is also extremely circumstantial as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so much so that it's really hardly worth going into because the, the, those three could have been, could have, there's probably no way that they're a Jack the Ripper, but also some of the other ones that weren't named could have easily been him as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but also everything's circumstantial they don't have any solid evidence on anything and that's kind of what i think is so crazy and why it goes so wild on the internet is that there is no true piece of evidence in this whole thing it's all just circumstantial there's nothing that leads to like a for sure person or type of person at all um there's not even anything that leads to that one person committed the murders there could have been multiple and some people believe that there was it was a team how can so, there be no clue? That's what I, I always wonder. How can well? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, partially just the times, um, because there was also a lot of civil unrest. There was a lot of anti-Semitism. There was a lot of other types of racism. It was also the slums where a lot of people. I mean, it was so bad where like um, some of the victims were screaming out that they were being murdered, and everybody was just like, "Oh, another day in Whitechapel. Mm-hmm. It's fine." Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a really hard environment to to figure out anything um and uh but but some some of the other things i did want to note about some of the suspects is that some of them were um did have some connections that were legitimate like one of them one of the suspects was a man who was actually living with mary kelly the last victim before Mm -hmm. her death i have read about Um, that yeah yeah um and to me that seems like a pretty that seems like a pretty good suspect, but that's the only thing that links them is that he was living with her at one point. And it's always the husband. Yeah. And, um, they weren't living together at that and they, they weren't, uh, married. Um, and, uh, she was a sex worker at the time. Mm 
Um, she's the only one who is definitely a sex worker. And uh, she kind of kicked him out in order to bring another sex worker to live with her in her room. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's the only thing that links it. They don't really have any other evidence that he knew the other people or was involved. But the best the best thing is that, you know, maybe he was killing other people he believed were sex workers um, because he was taking out his rage. The fact that the girl he was in love with was a yeah. sex worker. Mary uh, Kelly then, looked a lot like me. Really? Did you know? Yeah. So she was like no. five, five, seven, blonde hair, blue eyes, fair skin, like moderately stocky build. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah, she's, a, I mean, she was allegedly very pretty. Yeah. At least for Whitechapel standards. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm beautiful. So that's why I'm saying she looked like me. Yeah. No, we just, at have, least for Whitechapel standards. <laughs> for Whitechapel standards. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones, uh, which gets into a whole nother different conspiracy theory is that. There are actually quite a few Eastern European and Jewish men who were um, possible suspects. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. Um, yeah. And uh, some of them line up like their deaths. Like one of them committed suicide and um, it lined up with Jack Ripper's killings ending. Some of them were incarcerated um, at the same time that it ended. Um, but in uh, the fact that they were Eastern European or Jewish made them more plausible because of all the anti-Semitic feelings in London at that time. There was a lot of different um, Jewish people living in Whitechapel. Um, and there was also writing above one of the victims um, on the double event that talked about anti-Semitic feelings of the time. And it's written in like Cockney English. So it's hard to tell if they're being anti-Semitic or the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, but because they like their double negatives. Um, but people thought it could have been written by the killer. Doesn't mean it was. It could have just been there. Um but some people believe that also it could have been a Jewish person who was killing people and making it look like it was anti-Semitism um, in order to get the government's attention. I mean, that's one of the crazy conspiracy theories, too, that I just think is it's too out there. I think that usually the simplest solution is the solution. And that just seems like a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but but yeah, um, like I said, suspects are a lot evidence is few and far between um and but the fact that the crimes were never solved um and the influence and sensational sensationalism by the media at the time has left a lasting impact on history there are there are museums dedicated to the ripper there are probably hundreds of books dozens of documentaries and also there are other even works of fiction that take inspiration from the Whitechapel murder like uh bram stoker's dracula mm-hmm. uh uh Jack Ripper was a big inspiration for that. Um, but as a very teeny tiny summary, just scratching the surface, that's Jack the Ripper. Hello. Yeah. That's just, that's like one That's like a drop inch. in the bucket. Yeah. 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 I just didn't <laughs> want to go on for absolute hours, but that's the gist of it, I guess. And the gist of it is it was really horrible and scary and um, they don't know what happened and we never will. So, and now he's like a boogeyman. Yeah. I mean, I would love to live till the time where science is able to solve things like that because it just gets so advanced that it doesn't matter that it was hundreds of years ago or the evidence is so minimal or the initial detective work was so lacking compared to modern standards. But I I don't think I'm going to live that long. And I'm not even sure it could exist because I think there's only one piece of evidence that's still lasting. And I think it's like a shawl of one of the victims. 
And I think there are only um, three uh, autopsy reports for the victims. The other two are lost. Oh, good. Um, Yeah, so it's just an absolute hot mess. It's like even the evidence that they did have, most of it's just gone into pieces. And the police reports aren't completely full. And that's why most of our evidence and most of what we know about what happened came from newspapers, Mm -hmm. which we know is can be very flawed particularly in a time like that where of like panic and bias and and we've seen how much that they um that these newspapers try to sensationalize everything yeah so and also there's tons of um firsthand alleged accounts and uh if we believe um witness accounts jack the ripper was simultaneously blonde black haired and bald (laughs) um yeah so i mean it's it in like some people say you know, like the gentleman Jack type of thing. Some people say, no, he was like a grubby, gross, you know, so there's absolute, there's basically no evidence at all to who actually killed them and who Jack the Ripper was. And um, if there was one person, if there was a motive at all, whatever. But the um, behavioral um, analysis unit did actually come up with a profile and for, and they thought that it was somebody 28 to like mid 30s Mm-hmm. Um, and most likely had syphilis. That was one of their things is that he most likely had a degenerative brain disease. Mm. Syphilis was big. It made people do some crazy stuff. It was very big. And it was one of the reasons that some of the suspects were named like one of the, some of the names ones that, that they were named suspect because they also had syphilis. The one who lived with Mary Kelly had syphilis. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, again, his syphilis didn't get to the, to the psychosis part mm-hmm. before then. So all very circumstantial hmm. but yeah that's jack the rapper sort of almost most a, of it a drop yeah yeah, yeah. i'm gonna spend my whole day off tomorrow just watching jack the ripper stuff now um honestly last podcast on the left their series was incredible and they went into a lot more detail than i did i just kind of summarized a lot of what they said but they did a ton of research i think the guy said that he read like five books Wow. And, and like watch like 12 documentaries just to make the podcast. And even theirs is only a drop in the bucket. Yeah. So, but it's very good. Crazy. Highly recommend. Yeah. Crazy. Very crazy. So Ugh. we've got a, so we've got a gang boss. We've got, we've got a mobster. We yeah, have a mobster. mobster and Jack the Ripper. Yeah. If those were any more different. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. But fun. Very, very fun. fun. Yeah. I'm sure we'll do something like this again in the future. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I'll try to do something that's more well known. I guess I thought that it was pretty well known because it was like such a big deal when he got caught. No, I like but... the not well known. I like it. I just chose this one. I just chose Jack Gerber because it, like I said, it was one of those that I just remember from a very early age. Yeah. But no, no, I like the ones that aren't known for sure. So, Delaney, what are you loving this week? Oh, shit. Um, I just got back from a work trip and also a Disney trip. So I'm, I'm loving being in my own bed this week. Nice. Yeah. Although I do find I sleep so well in hotel beds. Like, Ugh, I sleep like shit. Oh, I sleep. I'm out like a light. Mm, no way. What about you, Sarah? What are you loving this week? Uh, um, I increased my pay by a hundred percent yeah that's pretty awesome um so i've been working as a nursing intern which is like a graduate nurse so but 
after I graduated with my bachelor's, but before I actually passed my boards in the state of Tennessee, you can work in a hospital as a nurse intern. Um, and you make very little money doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I graduated the second week of September mm-hmm. and it's now going into the second week of October. So like, it's been almost a month. Yeah. <laughs> I've been like not making a lot of money. Um, so it's exciting. Nurses still get paid very little in Tennessee, which is a topic I'm passionate about. Yeah. Um, and that I'm going to hopefully change here if I have any free time. Look um, at you go. Look at me go. Legislative, le- legislative boss. Yeah. Um, not mob boss. Not mob boss. boss. Although, you know, it gets more done. But I mean, let's not go down that route, please. Yeah. Um, nurses in our area average not very much. Um, and for the same amount of experience, like if I was in my home state of Massachusetts, I'd be making twice as much. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's very little pay. Um, yeah. And the hours are very long. And the ho- particular hospital that I work at is has like the busiest ER in our region. Um, We're on pace to see about 300 patients a day, which is a ton. So it's massive. It's uh, it's exhausting work. And uh, yeah, but I am really glad to finally um, get my license because this was my second degree. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just been a long time coming and it's nice. It's just nice to kind of be done for a little bit. I'll probably go back and get my master's at some point. Um, yeah, it's nice probably my doctorate, experience, but it's, it's nice to be at a point where like, if I never went back to school again in my life, it would be okay. <laughs> You'd still be all right. Yeah. It'd yeah. still be all right. It'd still have yeah. a great job. So. Right. Very exciting. That is very exciting. Yeah. Let's get to start paying for wedding stuff. Oh, it's so expensive guys. Ugh. Yeah. For real. Ugh. The, the, how much you told me you have to spend on food made me want to throw up. I know I'm actively working on cutting that cost down, but guys just elope. Yeah. Well, I told you I'll eat crackers. Oh, okay. it's fine. <laughs> so anyways, really exciting. All right. Yeah, very um, exciting. This has been a nice, creepy, gruesome Knox mm-hmm. episode. And we have super exciting, not Knox, but not, not Knox. on totally on brand stuff for the whole month of October. So our next episode um, is also kind of fun. It is. It is very um spooky season it's it's ha- it's halloween themed hell yeah spooky season yeah, yeah. it's halloween themed and i think that you guys should just mentally prepare yourselves um because the entire month of december and all those episodes are Ooh. also going to be christmas themed absolutely um just because if it's important to the book it's important to us so absolutely or you know, on. we try to bring in other things that we like so we're gonna force it if we have to Yes, because why talk about things we don't like when we could talk about things we do like? Exactly. And we love Halloween. So coming at you next episode. Yeah. Halloween stuff. Halloween stuff. Um, I work on Halloween this year. Yikes. And Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. Because I'm, uh, I'm the new person. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Halloween in the ER sounds like honestly the worst and uh, best time of all time. A literal nightmare, but yeah. I'm looking forward to it. A literal so. nightmare, but maybe you'll have some good stories. You know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, this uh, this has been good. This I'm going to have to just edit this into perfection. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Good luck. Um, we will catch you guys next episode. Bye. Bye.